0: I am Simone Cipriani and I am an officer of the United Nations.
1: And I'm Claire Press and I'm a sustainable fashion journalist.
0: You are listening to the Ethical Fashion Podcast. We can change the world. Hey Claire, how are you doing?
1: I'm very good, thank you Simone. And I'm very excited about our guest this week.
0: Yes, it's an important one. We are talking to Alexander Julian Gibson, who is the stylist who created the fantastic pictures for the designers that the EFI presented at Pitti Uomo in February. He does incredible work and I really admire it. But I also admire AJ for what he stands for, because he's leading a global conversation about diversity, about inclusion in fashion. 100%.
1: In this conversation, we talk about fashion's racism and representation problems and the barriers that can face young black creatives. But we also look at what's being done. AJ is part of the Black and Fashion Council in the US, which is all about representing and securing the advancement of black individuals in the fashion and beauty industry. Plus, you're going to hear about AJ's own career journey how he broke into high fashion and what's driving him and how he's passionate about supporting the next generation of emerging talent globally.
0: And also, and this is very important, next week we will hear from AJ again, this time in conversation with a great designer based in Ghana in Accra. Have I got you guessing? If you think you know or if you just want to get in touch, Send us a message on Instagram. We are at Ethical Fashion.
1: Yes, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear your feedback. OK, you ready? Now it's time to meet Alexander Julian Gibson. We're delighted to welcome Nigerian-American Creative Director Alexander Julian Gibson to the podcast. Welcome. It's great to meet you. Thanks for joining us.
2: Hello, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Um, But also, you guys can definitely just call me AJ.
0: That's great, AJ. It's great to have you here. We've been working together on a special project for our EFI Accelerator for African Designers. We are so happy to have you on the podcast. And the first question is, can you describe the campaigns you created and styled for us?
2: That was such an amazing experience. Um, For this project, I partnered with EFI and and African designers that were picked this accelerator to create these campaigns um, to basically showcase their collections. And for each designer, I want to say, like I did stuff, but honestly, the designers came with such um, detailed and descriptive concepts and ideas for their brands, which I thought was beautiful and I loved. And um, so what we did was just kind of bring those ideas to life. For example, um, Giamini, which is the um, jewelry designer from Kenya, sent me the the most detailed, descriptive spreadsheet with all the information on their brand. We even did like this beautiful phone call where she showed me the pieces that we're going to be shooting. And I was literally just in awe. And so when it came time to do our shoot in South Africa in Cape Town, it was really just about like bringing those things to life. I think one one of the things that I helped out with was like, I made like custom created gowns and like clothing to shoot the jewelry with and so it was just about like creating things that accentuated and like elevated the pieces that she the beautiful pieces that she created and brought did the same thing for margot wong kind of tapping into like the very tropical like energy that um she was bringing with her collection from burundi
1: and she makes these incredible horn and recycled brass pieces
0: recycled brass yes
1: you flew to south africa where from from new york
2: I actually flew from Houston. I was in Houston um, with family because I think it was in December during the holiday. It was not easy. It was finding the appropriate COVID test to get over there. I was under the impression that I just needed a COVID test and I needed to get it 72 hours before. So then I had to find a, a testing site that would do the PCR test and then give me results in a day. Meanwhile, they were saying that the typical response time was seven days. And I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna make it happen. But we did. And I took my 20 one hour flight i believe
1: i just want to know how has it affected somebody like you who is used to traveling so much for your work and shooting all over the world to be kind of grounded and right now we're recording this during a crazy unprecedented cold snap and blizzard in texas right
2: yeah one of the things and i talk about this all the time one of the things that my one of my favorite things about like the black experience is um, our resilience and i think that's one of the things that we've seen I say this year, 2021, but obviously um, largely in 2020. And I think every, obviously everybody has had to adapt and change how they, and how they work. But I think particularly with black creatives, I feel like, you know, we've just been challenged to like put that resilience to test. And because I think that's like, that's a, a reoccurring theme I consider in the black experience. And it's just been that like really just adapting. I'm so Not tech savvy, so I haven't been doing as many virtual stylings as some of my colleagues. But I think it's been a lot about like me focusing on telling like diverse stories here in America. Um, just because you know we're obviously seeing like a time of like social unrest where you know America is finally, thank God, realizing about some of like the levels of disparity here um, in America, and just like kind of focusing on that, but also like using my experience from my travels and from like my work around the world to like Inspire things that I'm doing here.
1: We're going to come back onto that because it's such an important topic. But I just want to stick on the shoot for a moment. I saw an Instagram post that you made about this job, and you said that it take you to South Africa in the middle of a pandemic. But the project you wrote aligned so perfectly with what I believe about talent on the continent that I had to make it happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's so very important to me. I think I feel like we're in a time right now where. Um, Everybody in the mainstream fashion world is like, OMG, Africa is the, like, thing. Africa is the new thing. And you are
0: absolutely right. Today, the New York Times has a huge article on Adele Sunariwo and the Raleigh Gallery from Lagos exhibiting three artists from Nigeria and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It's the moment of Africa, isn't it?
2: They're finding all these African talents. I'm like, oh, my God, look at this new African designer, this new African model. And I'm like, man, if only you guys knew these people are not new. The talent has always been there. The thing is, there is so much talent on the continent, and the only thing that stops it from, from making it is the fact that these talents are untapped. Culturally, I can speak specifically for Nigeria, but I know I know that other countries can relate. There's a... I might be getting way too like, deep into like a lot of other things, but there's always a push for us to focus on like specific career paths. And when you do that push generationally to focus on these career paths, you don't make a way to support the arts. And I think because those arts aren't supported, you get people who should be designers, who should be models, who should be, you know, anything under the sun, only focusing on some specific career paths. Even, I think I was in, I believe it was in um last December, and I was speaking at his editor's um, event, and it was just really interesting because we had like a lot of young people there who were, you know, interested in industry. and. Even now, even in today's age, they're interested in the industry, and all they could think of was to be a model designer, or even so very few studying a stylist. And the conversation became like, if there was a way to educate people to know about like all the other, to like to the industry. There's so many other like, what about textile makers? Um, I mean, I couldn't even start naming them. There's so many that we just don't know about because even the stuff that they are exposed to in the industry is literally just from the people who have made it and who have like a very front-facing job. So they, they, they'll, they'll see a designer and be like, okay, that makes sense. I could do that. Or they'll see a model and be like, okay, yeah, she takes pictures. I could do that. When there's so many other things that aren't as front-facing that they just don't know about.
1: There's so much in what you just said, AJ, and I want to come back to this idea of a diverse fashion ecosystem in that there are more jobs than just being the famous designer. But you mentioned that this rising interest at the moment that we're seeing from a Western lens on Africa as the next big fashion thing is problematic.
2: On surface level, it's obviously amazing. You know, you're bringing visibility to like all these African talents on the continent and it's creating opportunities for for people on the continent and um, in the industry. But I do think to an extent when you look at it, it can be problematic just because, you know, as journalists we always want to focus on like what's new and what's interesting. But if you continue to brand Africa as the new thing and only focus on the fact that it's the new thing, then you leave it You leave it to the dogs when, it, when it's no longer the new thing. And I think that's problematic because like this concept of African fashion and, and style in Africa is something that is age old, you know? I think if you like, you're talking about the practices that they used to make the clothes. I mean, and just general style profiles of Africans. Like these are things that have been passed down traditionally for generations. And so, when you brand it as the new thing, when it's no longer the new thing, you're just throwing like all those like age old practices away. And I think that's something that we should all be really cognizant of as journalists and as people who are also as people who are championing the continent.
0: Yeah, indeed. Indeed. And sometimes this focus on, you know, Africa is the next big thing and this and that hides the fact that Africa is a continent with a lot of different realities inside it.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh,
0: this one, when, when I always laugh when I find these people who say, hey, I love African textiles, but what kind of textiles? You have so many of them and they're so different. I mean, do you like sure. Kent? Do you like D'Amfani? What do you like? You're absolutely right. And uh, it's time, maybe, for us all to be a bit more specific also around what we mean by Africa, what we mean by, by talent, where, how. What is sure is that there is also in Africa, different, many different Africas also on the international market, thanks to the diaspora, thanks to the taste of consumers. Today I was over the phone with the CEO of Ratti, which is a giant luxury company of, of luxury textiles in Italy. They, they supply some of the biggest brands in the world. And we were speaking about one kind of fabric, Faso Namfani, and we were speaking about Burkina Faso in a very specific way. And then suddenly the guy asked me, hey, what about Kente in Ghana? And I said, that's a completely different story. And we started another conversation. Yeah. The richness of Africa is the, also the fact that it allows you to have so many different conversations around fashion. Is that so?
2: Right. No, totally. I mean, it is exactly what you said. Africa is a continent. <laughs> it's a continent with like with a bunch of different countries, and it, although there are obviously like some similarities, there are so many differences and things that have like you know created different fabrics, different textiles, different ways to create fabrics, and different styles.
1: But it's also to me like this kind of colonial lens that Western journalism puts on the entire fashion discourse because nobody ever says oh wow Paris is suddenly the thing right now do they Paris is continuous in the discourse on what high fashion is supposed to mean it made me think about how we talk about sustainability as a trend as well
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean it can't be, right <laughs> That's, I mean same the same ideas like kind of follow that like it's dangerous to consider that to speak of that in a trendy way, because that's something that needs to be kind of a
0: statute. Yeah. And in the case of sustainability, that's why there is a lot of green and social washing because you use this kind of generalization. It's sustainable. What does it mean? You have to articulate, you're absolutely right. It's true.
1: Well, let's come back also to the other point you mentioned, which was around how we venerate the front facing jobs in fashion. So we put the designer on the pedestal, we make them into a celebrity, and then we, by doing so, even if not on purpose, ignore all the people that are behind the scenes making it happen.
2: I've had a conversation about this with one of my good friends, Adebayo, he's a designer for Orange Culture.
1: We just interviewed him.
2: <laughs> really? I love Bio. Just a few days ago, yeah. I love that. <laughs> Literally, Bio's like the homie. We were actually in Rwanda for the Collective RW Fashion Week. And I, I don't ever get me started on Rwanda because I can say a billion amazing things about Rwanda. But one of the things that we realized about Rwanda was that they have a lot of support from their government for the fashion industry. One of the things that I noticed that I think was really small, but I thought was like really amazing was that all the designers in Rwanda all have storefronts. There are so few businesses that are just like, oh, we're only digital or we're only just sell on Instagram. They all have storefronts, even like small like jewelry designers that have somewhere that they're selling their pieces. And it's something that is encouraged by the government And they receive, like, resources and things to help them. And I feel like they do that because their government has realized the importance of supporting the arts. I don't know the specifics. I'm not, like, a government person. (laughs) But I believe, like, they get, like, some tax support with textile making in the country, with manufacturing in the country. And so I feel like because a lot of the other countries don't champion those other outlets that are needed to create a brand, we see the young people in the country not looking into those, Mm. those fields.
1: Yeah, but also, do you think it's about how we lavish the attention over the founder and the designer? I mean, that's also media's fault. We ought to do more stories about how things are made and the hands behind the work.
2: No, yeah, totally. I definitely agree with that. I think a part of the beauty in like African clothes and African fashion is about like the method in which the clothes are made. And so I think that's when you begin to talk about like the traditional ways that. So, for example, with one of the things that are really popular coming out of Nigeria is like the use of like and um and that fabric. And if you talk about like how those fabrics have been weaved like through the years, I think that's important because then you talk about the history and the culture that's behind that and the people that are making these and these are the people that aren't really getting the press.
0: Mm-hmm. And fashion, at the end of the day, gets along well with with all these kind of different skills and capacities because fashion is a collaborative business. Exactly. And at, at the end of the day, in which you put together a textile designer with people who make textiles for product development, people who make the prototypes and this and that. And it's out of this network of collaboration that you create fashion. And you also find in fashion a lot of people with many different skills at the same time. Look at you. You are based in New York, but you are a visual artist. You style shoots. You style music videos, shows, campaigns, but you also direct. You take photographs yourself. You are a multifaceted person. And and maybe it's interesting before we go any farther that you tell us more in your own words about what you do, where you do it, and who do you work for? Man, that's a loaded one. I do a lot.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I do a lot because I love what I do and I just want to have my hands on everything. Um, (laughs) I am a stylist, creative director, and just like vi- in general visual artists. And I focus a lot on editorial work just because I think there's a magic in creating photos. I'm actually a freelance artist, but I work a bunch with a lot of African artists like Padurankin, Ade Kunle Gold. I previously worked full-time at GQ, um, so I still have a good relationship with them and do a lot of work with GQ as well. But I've styled and done editorials for um, Heist and Abadi, Vogue, Teen Vogue, New York Magazine, I mean, just a, a gamut of brands, and I think that was one of the reasons why I went freelance, just because I kind of wanted to sell my oats and be free. And I think um, I've loved it because I've been able to explore fashion and culture and style and art and all their intersections on my own and through my own like storytelling, but of course in partnership with other brands. But it's, I think that's been one of the most beautiful things of being I'm um, a freelance artist. Mm-hmm
0: you label yourself as an artist, as a freelance artist. So this yeah. means that you are at the center of a network of collaborations because this is oh, what yeah, an artist absolutely. is, isn't it so?
2: Absolutely, I love the spirit of collaboration. I think I think there are a lot of talented people. And one of the things that pushes me to collaborate with people is because in the same sense, in the same concept that I have for Africa and the talent there I have for um, black people and people of color here in America, Um, I think that there's a lot of talented Black people and people of color here in America that don't have the opportunity to shine. And so I like to collaborate because I think it's a way to, and I, I mean, I don't think I'm like, have quote unquote, like made it or anything, but I like to use my opportunities as an opportunity to bring up somebody else who may not have the opportunities that I have. So I love collaborating. I love like finding like young talent, young and old talent who, you know, fit the bill. And always, and I think there's always somebody out there that you're not thinking of that's not in the limelight, that's not um, already on Vogue runway, that is doing something really amazing um, and that is worth all the shine.
1: Are you part of Black in Fashion, the new initiative in the US?
2: Yes, I am.
1: Could you tell our listeners who might not know what that is?
2: So Black in Fashion is actually it's actually something that was put together by um, Lindsay Peoples-Wagner and Sandrine Charles, um, both like really good friends of mine to bring together we have we have a network of black people in fashion we all know each other we all um are friends with each other and work with each other but we never like kind of organize we because the industry especially here in the states is a bit troubled i think um for lack of better words um there's a lot of like things that that we deal with that are like offensive and racism is all is just a massive problem here in america and so we gathered together to kind of talk about these injustices and these and these wrongs and got together to do something about it. I think there was a time when we were all talking about all the issues and, and it became something that, well, okay, now people know about it and things, it felt like things still weren't getting done. We would talk about it and they would just like kind of disappear and we would just still deal with them. But I'm so happy that we've like come together to kind of now create doctrine and, and a platform to address these issues and make sure and figure out solutions. Recently um, for fashion week, the black and fashion council basically created a, a platform to like kind of uplift some young black designers and basically like show them to the fashion community here in New York. And so I think that's one of the things that we've been really focusing on is kind of making sure to uplift, like young black talent to basically provide like that avenue of people who again, like, you know, the industry is very who, you know, and so for a lot of the the young kids and the young people of color or black people specifically that don't have that in, we've been like working to create an avenue to create an end for these, um, these people. And then also making sure that there's representation on the side of editorial, um, just because a lot of us are do work in the space of editorial. And so we want to make sure that, you know, in terms of jobs and in terms of representation on the magazines, on the books and inside of the books that black people are being represented through black lenses.
1: It's also about ensuring representation in the boardroom, that you've actually got Black voices making decisions behind the scenes, right?
2: Absolutely. I think that's one of the, it's always a trickle-down effect. You know, there's there's a beauty in, like, having a Black person on the cover. But if you're the person making the decisions about that cover, there's no people of colour no Black person in that, in that room. I think that's another level of a problem. And I think um, starting with a C-suite, it's always, like, the best way to do it. Another ongoing issue that we had in the industry was that it felt like a lot of the diversity and inclusion was very um, for face value. So you would then hire, you would hire like a black person and keep them at a very low level in your organization just to have your diversity count to say that, oh, I have this percentage of black people in my company. But the black person that you're hired has no voices within the company, has no input on what's going on in the organization, and it's just probably likely like mistreated. And so, those are some of the things that we are like working
0: to combat. Whenever I leave my environment in the UN and I am, I'm always on the move, and I join or I enter the premises of a, of a fashion brand of a retailer, be it in Europe in the US, I'm always appalled by a much lower degree of diversity, and this makes me always very proud to work for the UN because it may be a huge machine and this and that but it's a very diverse environment where you see a lot of diversity and this industry needs more diversity. It's immediately apparent.
2: Absolutely. I think our world is diverse. So, I mean, in the most basic sense of thinking, our world is diverse. So I think...
0: We should see the same kind of diversity everywhere. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's this. not
1: just about representation. It's about power imbalance and balance. And it's about power imbalance. Exactly.
0: Exactly. When, and this movement in the US has done a very good job to take this to the center of, of the conversation.
1: I have a question for you, AJ, and it's a personal one. I hope you don't mind me asking. But how are you feeling through all of this? Because... Obviously, on a podcast in a 40 minutes, we can't unpack the scale of No,
0: it's very difficult. In a, yeah, mm, You're right.
1: But, the, you know, the scale of trauma and the effects of generations of systemic racism, even just looking at America, but as a leading voice in the fashion space, involved in something like the Black and Fashion Council, living through these times, how are you feeling?
2: No, I mean, honestly, it, it is tough. I, I mean, it's really tough. I think, I, I try my hardest not to sound morbid, but I mean, it's really upsetting to know you live in a country or in a world where Black life is, is valued at, at a lesser value. Um, I think it's, it's really frustrating. And I think, I think a lot of the tiredness that um, I feel and that a lot of Black people feel comes from knowing this but still having to, like, move on, still having to push on, still having to, like, push through and, like, continue doing what you do and continue your day-to-day. Um, mm-hmm. There's a time. And, I mean, I say there's a time, and to be honest, and not to sound, like, negative, but I still feel, like, very hopeless a lot. But personally, I don't believe it's worth letting hopelessness stop me from continuing to do um, the things that I want to do, the things that I think that are important, the things that I think will uplift, like, my, my community. So... There's, I think there's a general tiredness that I think a lot of Black people feel. And I think it comes from that, you know, knowing what the case is, but knowing that we're not afforded the luxury of, like, quitting or stopping and being sad about it. Um, and mm-hmm. just knowing that, you know, even though it's something that is, like, depressing, you just have to keep going.
1: Do you think that fashion can be a kind of force for change
2: and I think so but I think there's a lot that needs to be done for that to happen and I think I think so much more I think like literally the things that we're doing now I think are literally just barely scratching the surface like I mean I think there needs to be a deep dive and then I think a lot of honestly I think a lot of it has to come with education and society and education about history I think a lot of the things that I've seen I'm in the world that, that stressed me out is that there are still people who can sit and deny our experience. Like the things that we experience on the daily, there's still people who can sit and deny it because it doesn't experience to them. They don't experience it themselves. And I feel like that's like a like that's the original problem. It's like, you can't fix something until everybody's aware that there's a problem. If there are people who are denying that a problem even exists, then we're not even on our way to fixing it.
1: Edge, mm. I want to... Pull this back and ask if you could share a little bit about how you got started and what the industry was like when you entered it. I mean, you started out what was it 2012?
2: Well, yes. Um, I, it, it's so funny because as I tell my story, everything that I've said before is going to make sense why I have these, all these feelings. But when I was young, I wanted to be a doctor. And then until I realized that I hate blood, I want to be a <laughs> And through all of these, like, career paths, I knew I loved styling. I knew I loved fashion. I knew I loved clothes. But I was just never, I never thought I could do it. I was like, there's no way I, I could do it. <laughs> like, it's just, it just wasn't a viable option for me. I even went to school, went to college um, as a pre-law major. And then switched to journalism because that was like, okay, maybe that might be better. And in the summer of 2012, over the summer, I got a job at Double XL Magazine. It was a music magazine in New York. I was working with the fashion director. I ended up styling like a full eight page spread in their anniversary issue where I got to style, I got to cast the models, I got to like pick the design of the editorial, even do like the layouts. And I found myself just like, oh my God, this is what. Like, I mean, I'd always like done photo shoots around like my campus or done photo shoots like by myself or whatever, but like being able to do it for a magazine felt amazing. And after, I'd left that job. I was still in school. My boss, Eric Kano, said, no matter where I'm at, when you graduate, you have a job with me. And so that was like, okay, I have a job in fashion. Let's see how how far I can get now if I focus on that career path. I um, did a lot of internships in college. So um, one of the people who I interned with was at Fendi at the time, and they hired me um, to work in PR and events, which was really cool. But I knew I still wanted to be an editorial and I and I was trying to find my way in. My whole life, I had known I went to work at GQ. I'd applied to internships, never gotten a response. I'd like apply, like literally done competition like little um, mail-in competitions at GQ and then used that as an opportunity to try and ask them for a job or anything, and absolutely no response, no nothing. I won the competition, they still ignored me. Anywho, there was a position open, I applied, I got the contact of a recruiter. And the recruiter completely ignored me. And I was really frustrated about it. And I didn't want to do this because I'd never believed in the whole, like, it's all about who you know thing. But after like having the recruiter literally like ignore me on multiple occasions, like answer the phone and be like, oh, okay, call me back at this time. And then ignore my phone call at the time that he told me to call him. I had my boss at Fendi, who is the vice president of communications, you know, reach out to a contact of his. And within three minutes of him reaching out, I got a call from that recruiter that ignored me. and was like, oh yeah, I love everything about your resume. Come in for interview tomorrow, blase, blase. And I went in for an interview and everybody at GQ was like, you're one, way too overqualified for this job. Two, how have we not you know, already hired you? And I was so livid, to be honest. I was like, so the only way that I was going to get this job is if I had a rich white man call another rich white man and say that this black boy is okay to work here. And I was like, this is absurd. And it's like, I was like a young Nigerian-American, like, boy, I was raised in Houston, Texas. I'm not from New York. I don't know anybody who works in fashion. I knew no, like, the only way I knew people who worked in fashion was because I went, to, I interned in New York. And so it's like, I could have very much missed this whole opportunity that I was overqualified for and was it was my dream just because I didn't know enough like a rich white man <laughs> to talk to another rich white man. And I was so frustrated by that. But then I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this job and I'm going to create an avenue for people like me, people from my background, people my background similar to mine, to be able to come into the industry. And so um, I started working at GQ. I worked a lot with the, the Diversity and Inclusion Council um, at Condé Nast. And um, I was actually one of the founding members that started the, the council, um, working directly with Anna. We brought in a whole bunch of like students from HBCUs to like come, did internships, jobs, everything, Blase blase. I had my time at GQ. I did all that I needed to do. And I started and I decided that I wanted to leave. GQ was always my dream job. I didn't really know where else I wanted to work. And I was like, well, I could, a friend actually told me, like, you should work for yourself. And I was like, you know what, let's try it. So I worked for myself. I started working for myself. I started doing like a lot of travel and talking about the intersections of travel, style and culture. And that led to me working with international artists. I got to do a lot of stuff on the continent. Because obviously that was some that was part of my background, something that I really want to explore and try to rush to it and that's here I am now just doing like kind of any and everything and I think that's a, the beauty of the beauty and freedom of freelancing.
0: Let's go back to Nigeria and I'd like to ask you about Lagos, how you see Lagos today. Lagos is a creative hub and Nigeria is known for a very strong and flourishing cinema industry and Lagos is at the center of innovation, also in design. What do you think about that?
2: I'm so proud of Nigeria. I think it's amazing that it's become like a fashion hub for the continent. I love a lot of the things coming out of Lagos. I love a lot of the designers. I love the fact that it's becoming like a hub for models, from models all over the continent to know that's where they can go to like get discovered. We wanted to talk about, you know, advice to creatives. I think it's so important that creatives create. I think a lot of times creatives spend a lot of time planning and doubting themselves and doubting what they want to do and trying to figure out how they're going to make it or how they're going to be able to do what they want to do. But I think the first step to being a creative is always to just create because what creating does is it makes your brain move. It gives you experience and it gives you a portfolio, something for somebody to discover.
1: Did you grow up in Nigeria?
2: I spent a lot of my younger years in Nigeria, but I did actually grow up in Houston, Texas, where I would consider a mini Nigeria, a mini Lagos. (laughs) I'm actually working on a project at the moment in partnership with Instagram, talking about immigrant hubs in America. And um, we're recognizing Houston as the largest Nigerian population in America. I love the energy of Lagos. I think there's a very go-get-it attitude. Um, and I think what's really funny—I talk about this a lot with my Nigerian friends—kind of joke about it is I think Nigerians, but specifically Lagosians, are like kind of notorious all over the world for like how um, like our energy. <laughs> I mean, when it, from like from partying to our work to our work ethic—I mean, it, it all. It, I think it's all very on brand for us. I think Lagos is a place where that never stops. It's always busy. The traffic is madness. The people are very um, ambitious. And I, it's, it's something that I'm still not totally sure where we get it from, but it is definitely something I'm very, very grateful for.
1: And what about style? Could you touch on some Nigerian designers that you admire?
2: Oh, yes. Um, um, there's so many Nigerians have like a very special madness, mad love for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it'd be, I think young Nigerians get their um, love for style um, from like, you know, their parents. And if, you can see like grandparents who when they get dressed, it's a it's a moment it's an absolute moment. I think that's something that is like kind of handed down to us. Um some of my favorite designers are of course like my friends who I think are super talented, Bio from Orange Culture, Emmy from Emmy Casbit, Kenneth Eze, Kenneth Eze, yes. A super talented designer. Um, Ray Lagos is one of another one of my brands that I really love. Obviously for the um EFI Celebrity, we worked with the woman brand and I was in awe with some of the amazing pieces that he created. I think there's There's honestly just endless talent. Lagos Fashion Week is one of my favorite times to be in Nigeria. I think, you know, just even the street style is something to be seen, I think.
1: Okay, we're running out of time and we could talk to you all day. I wish we could, but I want to end up by asking if you could share some advice for young creatives starting out. How can we get more young black creatives into the industry and what advice would you give them?
2: Um, I think my advice to any young black creative would be to create, to know your value. And I think those things are super important because you need to have that that portfolio. And that's the best way for you to continue to like get ahead because it's important that black creatives create. You can't be a creator without doing the things that you love to do. You know, like I said, there are some challenges, but I think it's important that when our time arises and when the, the opportunity does arise, you have something to show for it. I think when we talk about equity in the industry, I think that's more about making sure that we have space for conversation. We have space to have input in the industry. I think there's a time that has come where Black people are now a very interesting face to feature, where Africans are a very interesting face to feature. But to make sure that we are in this industry for the long run is that we make sure that we're at the helms of these of these conversations. We're in these C-suites and that we have a voice and we feel empowered to have these voices. And I think that that ties into the concept of like knowing your worth And I can continue to go on about this. I'm not going to because I know we're running out of time, but there's a concept of imposter syndrome. You know, like when you get into the boardroom or we get into the room and you feel like you're not worth being there, you're not worthy to be there. I think that's something that all Black creatives sometimes experience. It's something that we need to nix and need to get rid of because we are worth it. We are worthy of being in the room and we are worthy of being at the table because we are creators and we have been creating. And even though people are just not finding about what we're doing, We've been doing this, and it's important that we continue to do this. One thing that's important for designers on the continent and creators on the continent is to know your brand. We have such a, a rich and beautiful history, and I think it's important to always consider that as you're creating your brand. I think earlier we were talking about you know, highlighting the methods in which like our textiles are created, and I think that's important to highlight in the brand story. And I think those are things that separate a good brand from a bad brand one that tells a story with their collections and tells a story of, and, and what better story than the story of our history and the story of um,
0: our culture. Thank you very much. Of course.
2: Thank you guys for having me.
0: It's been really a great pleasure and also a moment to, to you make us think and uh, yeah, it's been meaningful really. Thank you, thank you very much indeed. I really appreciated that. Thank you for listening, my friends. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at ethicalfashioninitiative.org and we are on Instagram at ethicalfashion.
1: And don't forget to share the episode with your friends and with colleagues and with anyone you think would benefit from it. We love it when you tell other people, I'm going to say that again.
0: Can you help spread the word and share our story with your friends on social media? Our mission is to work towards sustainable development and create long-term impact in the communities where we operate. Through extensive training and mentorship, we build capacity and enable artisans to produce for the international market. Through this program, workers are empowered and can live themselves out of poverty, not charity, just work.